Welcome back to 20-Sided Stories, the show about games and the people who love them, coming to you out of the 20-Sided Store in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. My name's Chris, and we have a fantastic guest, uh, a fantastic list of guests joining me around the table today. We have Danny. Hello. We have Ken. Hey, everybody. Nice to see you again. We got Lauren. Hi. And joining us for the first time on 20-Sided Stories, a very good friend of ours, Leo Genesek. Hello, everyone. Yay. Hey. <laughs> Thank you all so much for uh, for uh, being here. I had a fantastic time having us over for the last podcast. So I thought, why not do it again? Indeed, why not? Oh, yeah. yes. Uh, and we have a really good topic for all of the people that we have here uh, gathered before us today because we are all players and we're all dms of the game called dungeons and dragons that we all love so much uh i was going back through as i often do the long history that DD has it started in 1972 with gary gygax and dave arneson uh as an offshoot war game uh this the, this game that they created that sparked a gaming revolution for lack of a better word and it has gone on for 40 plus years. This this year marks the 40th anniversary of D&D's uh, publication. And we are all celebrating the fifth uh, uh, edition and loving it very much. Um, but it made me think that what the game was when it first started and what it has become, because if something stays the same for 40 years, we call that stagnant. Uh, and the interesting thing is that it started off extremely tactically. It started off as maps, minis, uh, incremental movements. Everyone was uh, measuring things out in uh, inches instead of in feet, which is what the normal thing is right now. And it has grown into this thing that encompasses that, but also encompasses uh, big epic stories, encompasses improv theater, encompasses many, many, many different ways to approach the table and find something new in this game. And that's sort of why I wanted to bring everyone here because we all approach D&D very, very differently. And through that, I think we can get a good idea of what play styles there are out there and how they mix when they get to the uh, table, both as players and as dungeon masters. Uh, and the reason why I wanted to bring Leo on is Leo is one of the more theatrical people that I have ever played with. Dude, Thank, his you. <laughs> Dang, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, he, had, he, uh, he has a theater background. He, he has an improv background and he brings all of that to, to the table when he creates his characters and then some. Well, I, I thank you, Chris. Mm -hmm. I, I find the characters I have the most fun playing as I come up with it. You have to have the nut. What's the beginning, the seed of it? And from that, you can grow out. Um, and I'll, I'll give a brief example. I know all of these people have heard this story and are familiar with this character. I played a character called Stalactite Slim, and my inspiration for that was American Tall Tales, which is something that I've, I'm sure there are American Tall Tale role-playing games. I'm, I'm unaware of them, but I'm sure they exist. And uh, But it is, it's a very big storytelling, and it's always about crazy stories like you know like he drank a lake you know and then he <laughs> roasted the moon and ate it for dinner you know that sort of <laughs> sort of things and playing that character at the beginning of every session i would sit down as a by way of introduction let me tell you a little story about something that happened to me and i would tell some fantastic tall tale and somebody would be like well i'm calling shenanigans on there I'm like well you were not there sir yeah and it's <laughs> the thing is living in a world where people shoot fire out of their hands and can transform into animals and can do all these amazing things. Those sort of stories 
are as valid as anything else. Oh yeah. Um, and, but he, because he had what I called a frontier gentility, he was also like kind of guy would like tip his hat to a lady, but he was a gentleman. He was a gentleman, mm. but not, not in a, in a sort of a fancy pants sort of way. Sure. Well, I think something that's amazing about the way that you play the game and the characters that you bring to the game is that they're very well thought out and they all have nuances and they all have these things that you've given a great deal of care to flesh out for the rest of us at the table. Um, you have a very specific style and something that you've added to our language in terms of playing the game is improv. Like you have this improv background. Yes. Well, improv, the, the basis of improv for anybody who is unfamiliar uh, is yes and. That's the core rule. So if you and I are doing a scene and I say, oh, it's a beautiful day. Now, if you say, well, what are you talking about? It's night and it's raining. You get a laugh, but everything stops dead in its tracks. Yeah, so, yeah it is. It's just like the day where we first met. And then not only have you agree with me, but you build on, you build it in building history. And an improv scene, a theatrical improv scene, is about building a scene brick by brick. And everybody, it's about adding. Now, in D&D, that's a wonderful tool. It doesn't translate whole cloth. Right. Because you could, like the players could say, well, I take out my plus five sword of dragon instant kill. And, and like as a DM, <laughs> I'm compelled to say, where did you get that? Because mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't at my table. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, or more likely, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I don't like, you know, I mean, I, is it, for me, improvisation on the table, when somebody is does something very creative, like I'm a big fan of what we call reskinning. So it's like, let's say somebody had a, was a sailor, the background is a sailor, and they're using a two-handed weapon. What it is, it's like an oar with a couple of like rum jugs, you know, tied to the, mm. like, in reality, rum jugs tied to an oar are probably a terrible weapon, but what, there's no reason to, there's no downside to letting that character do that because that gives that character flavor and it gives mm-hmm. them, you know, definitely when you see that character, you're just like, oh, you picture like somebody with maybe a striped shirt. I'm doing a very stereotypical sailor picture. Yeah. But, you know, they've got this giant weapon over the shoulder. and That's interesting, you know, because it's uh, it's not, some people might say it's not simulationist, you know, like, oh, that's uh, improvised weapons you're using or something like that. Like, I really agree with you, actually, yeah. for me, that any sort of character belongs in a game. I, yeah. There's been a character at our uh, public play game that's a cop from the future. You know? Oh, yeah. And he's oh, just yeah. in the game. Yeah, he was, uh, he was it, from, from the 80s, 80s, right? He was a Miami Vice cop. Exactly. And and it I, totally yeah. works. Like, uh, in terms yeah. of style, you know, you can bring these characters to the table that... Uh, are maybe a reflection of your style or are a reflection of your personality, obviously. Yeah. By the end of that character's uh, sort of run, he was a, even a follower of a god from Forgotten Realms and stuff like that. So it was yeah. really interesting for me mm-hmm. to see how that Absolutely. player used that character almost as an outside person, even from D&D, like not even knowing exactly what the world itself might be and discovering that with that character as he discovered more yeah. about the game itself. Yeah, I have noticed. I mean, this is this sort of goes to another play style is uh, like people try out different archetypes, which is fine. Like we've all seen the fantasy archetypes and there's only so many times when I can play a a uh, elf ranger before they all start molding into each other. Uh, if I'm playing it in the typical fantasy archetype, but people bringing different things to the table uh, in, in that same season, we had a, a character play not only the 
the uh, cop from the 1980s, we had someone play Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there, and I loved, loved, loved having Randy Savage at my table because I knew I could speak directly to him with my vast wealth of, of professional wrestling knowledge. <laughs> like It was something that like he and I shared that whenever... Uh, he would come up. I would do either like a Hulk Hogan pose or I would do or I'd, when he had his uh, healing potion, he'd be snapping into a Slim Jim. I mean, one of the things I love that you do, Chris, is that you do evoke cinematic uh, sort of scenes in your games. Not mm-hmm. only that, you directly reference other pieces of media to evoke your player's imagination to try and give similes as to sort of w- what they're seeing or hearing or, or, or experiencing, yeah. which I think is a really interesting sort of right, it's uh, very, to take. It, it's very pop culture. Yeah, I would say that Chris definitely has this sort of um, repertoire of, of slogans and sayings memorized, you know, like from every <laughs> pop culture. It's not, you'd think it was just like maybe one uh, genre, but it crosses all borders of lines where... I'm the exact opposite. I can't remember anything from anything except for movies that nobody gets <laughs> like what I'm talking obscure. about. And then super yeah. obscure. And then I sound like a complete idiot. And so I'm like, ah, forget it. You don't know. What you did. <laughs> except for me. And I'm the, only, yes. I'm the only one laughing, you know? So it's like, okay. So, um, you know, uh, but that is one thing that, um, that, yeah, if we're going to talk about uh, sort of um, different styles and different techniques, that's where uh, for people who really are into pulp cu- pop culture references uh that's super fun and oh, yeah. that really that that is that like really easy entry point that i think chris can kind of rope in those players who who are just like oh you get it you get me you get my character you get exactly where i'm going mm-hmm. with this well you there's, know? there's something interesting with sort of what leo and uh danny are bringing up with this idea of a theatrical or a pantomime or even a being your character like i know when i play at a home game I get up like I, I am on my feet a lot mm-hmm. of times, whatever, doing whatever I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think there is a style that really uh, attempts to embody a character in many ways. And then there are styles that, that, that don't. And uh, I mean, for me, it's it's so interesting to sort of see the interplay between the different styles. Um, and I've had some of my uh, best games just sort of like being with other people, playing with other folks who were so different than my own style. I, well, I mean, if we're talking about um, different styles of play, like if we bring it back to like the premise of the discussion, right. we're talking about um, improv being this very valid way to come in and it's a tool to use where we can all role play and there's, a, there's an understood means of engagement and there's, there's rules. Like there's a yes and I'm, you're picking down when I'm putting up or I'm, you know, <laughs> like you're <laughs> whatever whatever that that saying is. Is. It's, it's about agreement, which is a very big. It's about agreement and moving consent. forward always. And, and when we're talking about what Chris does, he, we're talking about um, really opening all the doors. Like it doesn't matter as long as we're all on the same page. Like I'll, mm-hmm. I'll plug into whatever it is that you're you're attempting to bring to my table. And what Ken has to say when he says, like, you know, oftentimes I'm standing up. And I think that's something that really engages me and something that I do whenever I'm DMing, I don't know if I do it as much as a player. Actually, it's kind of funny. We all talk about how like who I am as a DM and who I am as a player is two completely different people. It's but true. I think so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but playing pretend is such a valid, cool way of playing D and D. I noticed that something that I do and something that I immediately get attracted to is we're all pretending to do something. I mean, 
in home games we're all huddled together and crawling down the hallway because it's like the deep dank near Keith you actually dragged my unconscious body back to all <laughs> the other players yeah, absolutely so yeah. it doesn't even require all of this yes and or any of these pop cultural references what it what it requires is that we give up all of the trappings of what's happening in our real world and we're going to just kind of jump in like little kids and just and surrender cool. yeah yeah yeah, definitely. And that is I think that is the nexus point where all these things meet. It's D&D is a shared experience. And we've all had we've all said that felt that that it doesn't that the the table comes in so many different flavors. But as long as we're all sharing the same experience and the thing that uh, vexes some DMs and also some players is when they come across something that they that doesn't, at least at face value, gel with their play style. I think everyone here is a versatile role player. They're a versatile gamer. And we've all moved through different editions. We've all had the way that we play Dungeons and Dragons adapt and evolve over different times as the game changed. But we are all good enough that we can play the game many different ways to fit the table that we're set before us, but that is a balancing act that players oh, thank and you. thank you, Chris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we, but we have there is a balancing act that has to come when you have someone who's a very theatrical person come with somebody who just has the hack lost. Well, that's a great, great sort of dichotomy to set up because what about class? What about class influence? You know, the influence of the racing class of a character has so much to say in many ways about a character's style or not. Oh, yeah. You know, you just put two down right there. You said someone who's coming very theatrical and someone who's coming very hack and slash, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you could play the same racing class with both those characters, right? And I think so. Uh, so for me, or, or not, I guess. I don't know. So for me, when I look at uh, the characters and, and races that I play, I, it's so interesting to me that I normally see... Um, characters who are are very utilitarian like that i love being sort of a, a toolkit at the table in many ways and a toolkit of ideas you know mm. um i'm the guy who loves to buy the sack full of flour so i can throw it on the invisible enemy you know it's like yeah I, like i'm i, I, I love always playing have a bar of soap your character's hygiene is beyond one. repute are we, well, <laughs> i'm thinking you know I get stuck in some manacles. You <laughs> rub a little soap, soap and squeeze your wrists out, you know. Well, and that's something that you are very inspired by as a player. Like you love the opportunity to come up with very ingenious ways of overcoming a situation. Oh, and, definitely. And yeah. Absolutely. And there are a lot of people who be, who become like you were saying, get vexed. Like there are a lot of people who just kind of clam up because they don't understand what to do because I'm chained to a wall and all I have is a bar of soap. There's some players who feel like, well, there's nothing I can do. And other players are like, all right, what's around me? They like, it's well, yeah. that's been, that goes back to what Ken is saying about class. Maybe you pick a ranger because you are thinking about how do I forge? How do I make something out of, out of the resources that I have in nature yeah. versus a fighter who's like, I'm going to go to the, smithy and i'm gonna get a weapon that's built just for me that's catered to to my character to do exactly 
you know, what it is that I needed to get done and perform exactly the way I'd like to perform. Yeah. And Ken brought up a fantastic point. It's like the, the choice of class that we play uh, says a lot about our own personalities and our play styles, because like when like Ken's characters, when I see them, they usually like Ken's characters are very law. Like they, they see three or four steps ahead of everyone else. They are very forward thinking. They're also very pragmatic. Uh, and I, I've only seen you play a fighter. I don't like you've, you've played at my table a few times, but I can't remember like the, the classes you've brought to play the Rangers and rogues and right. fighters. But yeah. Also, but I, I don't know. I have to disagree with you a little bit because really? I think that, that and two podcast people, is over. Thank you, guys. Two, well, just the just just the sense that like two people could totally play the same class and play them very very differently. Oh, way, kind yeah, of what, way what, different. What Danny yeah. was bringing up with the fact that, um, you know, well, I'll just let him take the floor. Oh no, no. Well, what? So for myself, I and as a player, and something I think that I do as a DM, I try and coach people out of, is that the class that you have written on your character sheet literally means nothing. Yeah. All that it me, all that it is, is a way for us to actually adjudicate when we start to disagree. And and we were talking about another play style now too, where um, I, as the DM, am just going to keep talking and storytelling and creating until somebody disagrees with me. And then we're going to just kind of like look at our character sheets and determine what it is, like what grounds we have to stand on and do. But the one thing that I don't think we got to was was the idea of being able to um, maybe not necessarily do something fictional that we can't do in real life, like throw flames from our hands, but to literally just be able to say like, like I would never steal from a store, but now I can because this is D&D or maybe something even more more um, philosophical than that with it's just kind of like I have this idea of of how would I bring this sort of personality to life and what are the um, what are the repercussions of those actions that, might, you know, so I can take risks with a character and with a different kind of character build in a way that I never would in real life. It's interesting to me to play different roles and to try different uh, sort of moral codes on. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, that's a definitely a big part of, uh, I don't know if my style particularly, but what I really appreciate about the game. And honestly, about DMing, that's a big part yeah. of it. Well, you I mean, play so many NPCs, you can plot, try yeah. on so much different stuff. Mm-hmm. As a, you know, I have an art background and something that is always, you know, in in any kind of critique or anything that you do, even if you don't even realize that you're doing it, you're always putting a little bit of yourself in there. So oh, yeah. even though, yeah. you know, Danny brings out this idea that I, I play characters that are very much like me. I don't, I don't see that, you know, I don't, I don't see myself in those characters at all. I think these characters are, are way beyond sort of my, my range, but, but for, as an outsider, I can, and as somebody who gets critiqued, you know, spend a lot of time cr- getting my artwork critiqued, you're always putting a little bit of yourself in everything that you create and everything that you do, and that's what makes it unique and special. No, no two rangers could be the same because the individual that's playing it is putting a little bit of themselves. It's, it's true. Into it. But what if they both take the multi-class build? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> they have, they're choosing you know the same I mean? feats. No. Well, no, 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 that's uh, that's uh, what I'm uh, saying. A that's mine. a different style of playing as well. That's true. Is just playing the build. You know. Uh, yeah, but still, you, well, we all play the same build, and we're going to play it very differently. <laughs> well, what, oh, what you're nailing right now is this idea of, is is the when we're talking about play styles, there is a, there's a definite there's a definite 
thing where people bring what's written on their character sheet to life as opposed to just doing whatever it is they what that they want and contributing to the story in any way that they want and um put like placing down bricks and they anticipate that everyone's going to say yes and before one of us have to kind of like rein it in or measure what's going on with with what it says on their character sheet but some people you notice very often are only capable of doing things that are written on their character sheet and they're always going to be um sort of bringing very specific spells to life or giving life to things that are very literally spelled out for them, mm-hmm. which is perfectly valid. Well, they, it's interesting. I've, I've played in home games with in games that are no rules and almost no roll, dice rolling. And uh, We play in one together. We play in one together. Uh, it's an ongoing superhero game, different, uh, different genres, different uh, characters. But since we all know what these characters are capable of, since we've read them, uh, time and time again, we know that this is what they're capable of. So there's no need to be like, well, on the sheet it says you can only move 40 feet and you move 50 feet. It, it, but as also as a player, sometimes I'm like, I would like to know exactly what I can do. There is that... Parameters. There's those parameters that are sometimes, like you kind of crave them. Um, although it's nice to have freedom. Sometimes too much freedom. Like if somebody told me you could write anything you want, I'd be like, oh, I yeah, it's like what, deer in headlights. Yeah, I see it all the time. Well, for me, D and D, and I mean maybe role playing games specifically, D and D is uh, is subverting those parameters, not in a bad way. Just like, yeah, everyone has an idea of what is, and now let's push past that to some degree. You know, let's uh, uh, find the thing, reveal the amazing magical thing that makes this different. And for me that uh, is a big part of the allure of the game and, and the stories that are told in it, I mean, regardless of your style. Well, it goes back to the uh, uh, shared experience thing. We all start with some ground rules that we all agree upon, and then we all build on top of that. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, I mean, what have, what have we brought to the table so far? So we've said improv, there's some yes. improvisational come in, yes, and is a valid style of play. We've come in to say that being given a world or lines that are drawn for you that you can um, color outside of and sort of like test boundaries and, and see how the world receives you, with, um, which is different than the real world. It's a very exploratory way is the, is the style of play. Um, bringing your character sheet to life doing, and, and really sort of playing within the lines is a valid style of play. Yeah, and the one that we didn't really touch upon, I think we had gotten into it a little bit, was the power player is the one that like that's the one that i mean it's still a valid way of of the playing although it is chided quite a bit about like someone who's not necessarily playing their playing their well, character but playing their but playing the system to its fullest i think there's there's i think there's plenty of people that can play strictly by the numbers and still be super inclusive so like i think that it's very close to becoming sort of a mixture of two different conversations where, you know, one way you can go where it's sort of like, you know, thinking also about you have all these different individual play styles um, and it's always like the yes and and some of these other methods seem very inclusive, seem very um, cooperative. And and a lot of times you think about the 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 numbers focused, the min max or kind of player as being the sort of lone person but there are many ways to play a character like that and still be very present in the game well i mean layer assault was super successful right 
Yeah. I mean, I, the, I, the whole style of game I, that people play. I don't really have a problem with the player opt-in because we all want to play characters who are good at what they do. Nobody's, uh, that's, I mean, presumably we're all professionals. However, if you, if all you do is just play the numbers and you're just, and it's just about sort of like showing off how smart you are, like how you, how you, you know, sort of circumvented the system to do outrageous things. It's, I can get one more point of AC, uh, just yeah. one more. Yeah. But it, but it can become your character. Over yeah, well, the point is, but if you also have an interesting character with it, yeah. you have a, you have a background, you have uh, personality traits and flaws, and uh, maybe you're, you're, you have a noble aspect to you, but you're also deeply insecure about something, or you have that can be really exciting to play. But if all they're playing is like, well, my AC is now twenty seven, you know. Try to hit me. And then you're like, okay. It's- well, no, I think I, I want to return to what Danny had to say for a second. Layer salt, you know, and that goes back to this really interesting uh, point that you brought up at the beginning of this whole thing, Chris, is war games, you know, and, yeah. and I don't know what, collaborative storytelling games and the idea of, uh, you know, how simulationist you want to be with the numbers, yeah. you know, how simulationist you want to be with the story. I mean, there's so many different dials and so many different levers, I think, to move with a game to try and figure out what each person at that table wants to play. And I mean, I think many groups sort of form around one core style in so many ways at home, at least. Yeah. Um, and, and they're all perfectly fine. And I perfectly think it all valid. depends on how you invent it too. Like I would for a very, very long time as a DM really just was it, combat was not my favorite part of it. Like I would, I, as a DM, you know, I would, I'm a huge, huge advocate in, in, in preaching that, a DM is a player at the table too, and a DM has to have fun too. And there had been just a huge string of games where I would be running them and get to the combat portion of the game and just be like, "All right, like hurry up! I know how this like is going to end." Like you're not having fun anymore. Just get there, yeah. And then all of a sudden something changed, and I don't know if it just if it's we were playtesting the monster manual for fifth edition actually, oh, yes. Alpha playtesting it, and I something maybe just from doing like just combat after combat after combat after combat something clicked with me and all of a sudden you just broke through I broke through right. and now there there is something that I absolutely love about it and appreciate and I don't know where that changed for me but I definitely think that like maybe sometimes it's just kind of figuring out that little niche or figuring out that little thing that that spark that just needs to get lit or your own comfort level with doing it yeah well it's not even the comfort level of doing it I think it's just um, maybe maybe it's even just the change in additions. Maybe it's maybe it's even just the way that that combat is more run. ergonomic now. Like it fits you. Yeah, yeah, you know, that could be it too. You know, five E combat is awesome. Though. I mean, hands <laughs> <Yeah>. down. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, that's why I love this game so much as well. Is the all three phases of the game? You know, I mean, or the three pillars, if you will, um, all sort of. Uh, really called me and and what sort of uh, fantasy role playing can be about mm-hmm. or, or any type of role playing I guess and uh, for me if one of them isn't working yeah it can be a real sort of uh, boring game in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, uh, or maybe just you get to a, a part that you're not all about or something like that right. and you do see people I think get really bored at tables when the part that they're not about shows up yeah and um, which is interesting and I think that that's you know when we're t- if you know all of us are DMs and organized play and I and and that's where that really comes into play. You know, I think when you're running a home campaign, you know who your players are, you know the characters they're playing. You're Definitely. able to, over a long 
period of time, build that up and, yeah. and nurture that. But when you have total strangers sit down at your table every single week and you can't predict who's going to come down, you don't know what characters they're bringing ahead of time. And so all your preparations could be totally out the window because yeah. you, you know, maybe you prepared this whole conversation to happen with this NPC and you, you sit down and every single person at your table ends up just wanting to get into the fight. And mm. they're like, okay, we've had the conversation. Yeah. Let's move on, move on, move on. And yeah. so you're like, all right, let me whip this part out. Well, you know? sort of going to back to improvisation, you know, you as much as you can plan out that, oh, they'll probably do this, your players will inevitably find some other solution that has not Absolutely. occurred to you. And you have to be able to be, rather than being, no, you can't do that. You can't, you don't want to block your players in that way. You want to be able to embrace. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, within reason. I mean, uh, sometimes there's certain things that have to, especially with public play, because we have to play the module that's given to us. Absolutely. And the, the experience everybody has at the table will be different based on the the players, but it can't be, it's like, like everybody fought the troll this season, except for this session, except for this one table who went on a, a riverboat cruise. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. I mean, public play, of course, is its own Animal, beast. yeah. But yeah. When, when you really look at Dungeons & Dragons and there's this third angle between like, you know, what pays off for me? What am I interested in? But why is it that you're playing? Like, what are you coming to the table with? And yes. I, and earlier I was mentioning like Ken and Lauren and I, and something that Ken does that's really interesting that I love playing with him for this reason is that he really um, looks at himself as a player and as a DM and is coming to the game from a, like a point of growth, like there, I want to come here and I want to try this new thing and I want to add it to my experience or I want, I want to come from, I want to build upon something very specific. So the, the reason that you're playing the game, th there's, a, there's a reason here. So there's this mm -hmm. third angle of like, this is what I'm yeah. getting from it. This is what we're all doing it for, but this is like, this is my attraction here in this moment. Yeah. And the important thing when you're at the, the table is making sure that everyone has their moment. Everyone gets what, what they came for. Exactly. Um, because like, it's a poor, it's a poor dungeon master that just said, eh, my, my table wasn't my kind of table this week. I mean, personalities clash and not every table, especially in organized play is going to fit your style Exactly. But you have to, just like Leo said, you have to be able to improvise and be like, okay, read the table very fast as a dungeon master and as a, as a, a player and figure out what your table mates want and figure out how can you give it to them. Uh, the last thing that I want to get into, because we are very rapidly running out of out of the time that Danny touched on briefly is the map. Like it's the one thing that we all or the table itself, because we, we we've talked about the uh, the table as a metaphorical and a metaphysical thing. But now this is the actual table space that we play on is something that we all share and we all interact with it very differently. Uh, I've played with with uh, players. and I've been that type of a player that has that is like. What does it look like? Where is my uh, character? Where are uh, uh, the walls? What's the really cool stuff that I can play around with? And I've then moved on to like, I really try not to get involved with a map or I try not to get involved with minis if I can possibly, possibly avoid it. Because to me, they just slow things down and I want people to see the game with their minds, not with their eyes. Uh, mm, for myself, I... I the map does not inspire me. Um, it really helps for people who are learning how to play the game. I think mm -hmm. um, I 
through different versions and editions of the game, the map has moved in and out of importance for me, but I'd rather not play with it. I think it is limiting. I think it forces people to look down at the game. Um, and, mm-hmm. that, and that also translates into styles of play. So there is a very valid way to play the game by looking down at it. There's a very valid mm-hmm. way of playing the game by looking through your character's eyes. And there's a very valid way of playing the game by being kind of like this third party to what's happening in yeah. the game. And that way has been how it was, how it was played pretty much all throughout most of the, the 1970s. That's how the game was created and how it blossomed was from, you have this little, uh, lead figure that you're moving one inch at a, at a, a time, hoping not to step on a, mm-hmm. on a, uh, trap. Yeah, I mean, for me, I am a big lover of maps. I love visual things in mm-hmm. D&D. Uh, I, I mean, I love in old modules, all the illustrations that are evoke the image of those modules. I love uh, maps and cartography itself. It's just an awesome part of the tradition of the game. Uh, and, uh, I mean, just the dungeon crawl itself. Uh, yeah. the, the map of the dungeon is uh, such a interesting and important sort of artifact. Yeah. Um, uh, for me... I am so blessed, I guess, to be able to oscillate between everything. I'm comfortable in, in, in any situation, though um, I tend to take out the map only when it gets to the point when description words will fail because there's so yeah. much going on. So I tend to get out the map when I have hordes of enemies and I really enjoy yeah. miniatures, so I love bringing out miniatures. Yeah. Um, but if I'm uh, in the general course of sort of a, a session, I normally will be very happy to either just have a blank piece of paper and sketch something out very roughly or to do theater of the mind. Um, I, I tend to really enjoy uh, showing a, a, a sort of like regional maps, like sort of where you are in the world uh, and what's around you as opposed to really sort of a finely granular granular yeah, local yeah. maps yeah and uh and and as a player do you think that that like is that the, the the sort of thing that you go for as a player as well or is that just something oh, you do just as a dungeon master Oh, that's a great question uh as a player um i think that i want my dm to be awesome so i don't really care <laughs> i don't care what they use as long as it's awesome okay you know yeah i, I would say that for me as a dm <clears throat> and as a player it's completely completely situational like Mm -hmm. i i love it all i love the maps i love the minis i love drawing maps i love the 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 town maps i love the tactical maps i love theater of the mind and so for me it really becomes about um for me it really becomes about this moment in the game that is going to the game that I'm running will tell me instead of the other way around yeah. what I need to yeah. use. So there's a lot of times where I um, I don't come really with any kind of idea in mind at all about what I'm going to do until it happens. So I'll be at a table with a bunch of players and I'll start it off theater of the mind. And yeah. then if I feel like I need to bring that map out, I will. If I feel yeah. like I can just continue on, I will. If Um, if I want to have this like sense of like being lost and, and maybe it's foggy, then I, you know, or there's this sort of suspense of disbelief, or maybe there I'm, I want to do some sort of mystery kind of thing, then I won't bring out a map. But if I want it to be very, very clear, if I want them to know exactly where that bush is so that they can use it for cover and I want them to know exactly, 
you know, what the perimeter of a building looks like so they can have a moment to kind of work together to figure out how they're going to infiltrate and they know exactly where they, they can see the enemies on the tower. They can, you know, and, and I want them very clearly to be very aware of every little detail mm-hmm. of that. Then I'll bring the map out. Yeah. <clears throat> so I would say that it very, it very much depends on, on what it is that I'm trying to do yeah. in the game. Yeah. So one thing I stole from Danny, um, was that we, uh, we were in a scene and um, my players, so one week in encounters, we had set up this whole scene of this room. And then the next week we came back and I said, okay, you know, we kind of cut scene to mm-hmm. be continued here. So the next week, instead of drawing that room out, I let my players draw it because I wanted to see what they remembered about the room. Based on and, memory. And exactly. Yeah. And they drew windows in, they drew doors in, and then they were like, oh no, we shouldn't have drawn any windows in. She's going to bring enemies in through the window. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I didn't think of that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So things like that. Like sometimes yeah. you can play off of those yeah. ideas. Yeah. I'm sort of torn. I've been doing a lot of theater of the mind as, as a DM lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's based on the, uh, the events we're running currently because there are a lot of smaller encounters. And when you draw out a map, unless I'm going to take an hour and draw up like seven maps, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it becomes a little cumbersome. Right. So I've been doing a lot of theater of the mind because I feel like if they're going to be short encounters, little things, just move them along. And also I, in a game I played this past Friday, a home game, uh, we didn't use any minis, we didn't use any maps, but I had a very vivid image of what was around us just because I'm, I'm filling in all the blanks. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, as every player is. Uh, that being said, I do love minis. I, yeah. I love painting them, mm-hmm. and I like buying yeah. them pre-painted. Yeah. And there's a real joy to being able to, as a DM, because like you players, like, you know, you, you hear the, the, you know, the flap of giant leathern wings, and you put a giant dragon mini in the middle of the table, because everybody's like, what is that? Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it really gives it a sense of like, because they're like, oh, it, it becomes in a, may, in a way maybe even more real because they can see this artifact in front of them. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, right, that's a giant dragon and our minis are this big and it's, you know. It's even yeah, bigger. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. much bigger and it gives it a sense of scale and a sense of movement. Sometimes, I think sometimes players can be like, oh, it's just like this and they're sort of demystifying it. And I actually did this at a game. Somebody, I was, it was a flashback to this destruction of this civilization. And somebody's like, oh, it's just like the storm, uh, Spellmania storm. And I'm like, no. I slammed my f- fist on the table. I was like, you've never seen anything like that. This is like the wrath of God. This is like the a figure of God wiping clean this entire civilization. <laughs> and for me, it's the reveal again, D&D about the reveal and about yeah. that sort of mystic sort of uh, uncovering yeah. of something mm-hmm. that hasn't seen before a unique Yeah. And that just goes back to what we've been saying. All these different uh, all these different points just just show that what started as a fantasy themed war game back in the early 70s, where it was a door about or hmm, where it was a, a game about crawling through uh, dungeons, kicking down doors, killing monsters, stealing their their things, has grown to encompass so many different things. You can have investigation-style D&D games. You can have pure high-fantasy D&D games. You can have pure low-fantasy D&D games. There are all, of the, all of the different colors of, of uh, the rainbow are encompassed in this game that we all love. And 
the big takeaway is no matter how you approach this game, someone else sees Dungeons and Dragons very, very differently. Someone wants something different out of it. Someone comes to the table for a very different reason. And all those reasons are completely valid. And your duty as a player and as a dungeon master, too, is to make sure that everyone who sits down at the table gets what they want, gets what they come for. And because there's no one right way of of uh, playing and this game is all about fun if you're not having fun then there's something wrong and with that point i would like to thank everyone for uh coming by uh where can we find uh uh everyone online uh in person in i don't know like virtual reality i don't know Danny? virtual lives yeah um, i contribute greatly to wizards online community boards so you can hit me up. I'm Mr. Popstar, M-R-P-O-P-S-D-A-R. Say hi. Hello. I'm sure yeah, you are, Mr. Uh, Popstar. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, blog over at burlingsbeard.com. Uh, it's with a G, Burlingsbeard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I write about uh, gaming, uh, sort of shows, upcoming uh, news for D&D, just mm-hmm. sort of a, a fan website. Check it out if you get a chance. Yeah, I will say that uh, that uh, Ken writes some really great uh, con recaps, so if you didn't have a chance to go to uh, PAX East or go to Gen Con, uh, Ken's recaps put you right there, so go and check Thank those you, out. Chris. I appreciate Thank you, Thank uh, you. I own and operate the 20-sided store in Brooklyn, New York. Yes, boss. <laughs> <laughs> you can come and play some games with all of these lovely people in this uh, conversation. Uh, and um, you can find us at 20sidedstore.com. That's all spelled out. T-W-E-N-T-Y, sided store. Mm-hmm. And we're on Twitter, Facebook, all the good stuff. And stay tuned for more podcasts like these. Oh, yeah. Leo? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Danger Ranger. Um, I'm also writing, I've written a comedy fantasy novel called Chosen, which I am publishing one chapter a week online if you go to genesec.org. So that's J-E-N-I-C-E-K dot org. You can catch up. Uh, I put five chapters up so far uh, at, the, at the time of this recording, and by the time it comes out, we at least one more chapter out. Mm-hmm. Um, so follow, uh, follow. you can click on the follow button and get in your mailbox every morning morning a new chapter. Yeah. That is my solemn promise. I will publish a, a new chapter every Monday. Mm-hmm. And awesome. I've already written it. So, you know, it's not like <laughs> I'm not going to be scrambling. But like, oh, what the hell do they do next? <laughs> um, so uh, please check it out. It's uh, I think it's pretty good. I think everybody here has uh, mm-hmm. checked it out. So yeah. you can praise me right now if you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we uh, love you, Leo. Oh, Leo. <laughs> I subscribe to the RSS. <laughs> We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Oh, well, we yes. Suck. We suck. <laughs> uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at just Chris Wood. Uh, I also joined uh, uh, Instagram because one of the other employees at the 20 Sided Store made me. <laughs> Rebecca. Uh, yep. <laughs> Yep, Shout that is her. Rebecca, she rules. Yeah. So I would like to thank everyone for uh, stopping by this time. Thank you to our lovely panel. Thank you, you guys Chris. were awesome. You, and until next time, remember that the worst day of uh, gaming is way better than the best day of working for a living. Thank you so much. <laughs> Later. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. We thank you for listening to this episode of 20-Sided Stories. For more, visit us at www.20sidedstore.com or at 362 Grand Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn.
This podcast was produced by Mad Scientist Audio in conjunction with Studio Blanco and with music by Sonia Manalili. Thank you. We'll see you next time. <laughs>